Welcome to Communicate Like You Give a Damn, the podcast. Our guests share their stories and approaches to embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion in communications because, I mean, let's be honest, we know the power of language. And language leads to behavior. So thank you. Thank you for joining us in leveling up your communications. I'm your host, Kim Clark. And DEI communications, it's, it's kind of my thing. So let's get into it. Let's learn more about how to communicate like you give a damn. Hi, everybody. Kim Clark here with another opportunity to learn more DEI communication skills for the variety of audiences that we constantly serve. And my special guest today is Michael Hinkson, who has an amazing story about being in New York City, in the World Trade Towers on 9-11. So you have to check out his story. Michael, thank you for taking the time to answer some of my questions. Well, glad to do it. And of course, if people really want to get the full story, being a poor, starving author, I always promote Thunderdog, the story of a blind man, his guide dog, and the triumph of trust, which is available anywhere you get books, from Barnes & Noble to Amazon to wherever. So Hopefully people will go buy Thunderdog and find it uh, inspiring and, and interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Thanks for putting your story out there. So we work as communicators within companies and organizations all over the world. And we have a lot of control over the kind of channels that we use, such as internal websites or intranets or some sort of digital workspaces. We have meetings that we run, like the all-company meetings. Um, You know, we have feedback mechanisms for employees. We are producing videos uh, for internally and externally. So help us understand what we need to be looking at and doing as communicators to make our channels more accessible. Well, the first thing I would say is don't assume. Um, People do that way too often. They think they're experts on blindness, although they've never tried it. And the bottom line is being blind, I will use blindness, but it can go across other boundaries as well. But the bottom line is don't make assumptions. And as a result, what people really need to do is to ask people. Um, One of the biggest fears is getting anyone, let's say, who is blind as an employee in a company. Oh, it's going to cost too much. Oh, it's going to just be very difficult. Oh, I'm going to have to change so many things. How do you know? Is it really going to cost much? Given the amount of money that we spend today with what we provide for employees to keep them comfortable and so on, I don't see the problem. Coffee machines, uh, and I've seen some that are pretty fancy with touch screens, and they'll do anything from coffee and tea and hot chocolate and all different kinds of coffee and everything else. And the companies pay for that. They pay for windows so you can look outside. They pay for air conditioning to keep you cool. They pay for lighting so you can see your way around. But if I want a screen reading piece of software so that I can hear whatever is going across um, what you would see on your monitor, oh, that's too expensive. We can't provide that. Balderdash. It's what's called a reasonable accommodation under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And why shouldn't I be able to have a screen reading software package that will allow me to hear what's on the computer since we already provide everyone else with monitors that allow you to see what's on the computer screen? So 
the, the bottom line is don't ask or don't don't assume ask and find out what it really costs and don't make assumptions about what blindness is or blindness isn't because the reality is you probably will totally misassess it and so the first thing to do is to ask the second thing is one of the things if you truly go down this road you will learn that there are a lot of things that you could do to make a meeting or anything you do more usable for a blind person that will actually help everyone in the company. Perfect example, meeting coming up in two days, everyone needs to be there or a group of people need to be there. What typically happens? All the handouts are created. A PowerPoint presentation may even be created, but everything is created and handed out at the meeting. What's the problem with that? People are going to spend their time reading the PowerPoint. People are going to spend their time reading the handouts when, if you were truly efficient, you would get all that information to them ahead of time so that, in fact, when you're at the actual meeting, you can truly be more productive and efficient and actually deal with the issues that you want to talk about rather than allowing time for people to prepare when they should do that ahead of time. Some of us call that concept, no braille, no meeting. If you don't provide me the information, and it may or may not need to truly be available in braille, but it needs to be made available in a usable electronic form. If you do that, and if you do that for everyone who's going to be at the meeting, think of how much more time you can truly spend discussing the issues of the meeting rather than people just spending all their time reading it. And in general, <clears throat> there is so much that we could do to make information more accessible ahead of time. I've been to so many speeches where people do these great, glorious PowerPoint presentations, and the speaker is off talking whatever the speaker is talking about. But again, what are people doing? They're reading the PowerPoint presentation rather than the speaker talking about the PowerPoint presentation, bringing in the data that's on the PowerPoint presentation. If they truly need to show it, they should be talking about it as well so that people who don't see the PowerPoint presentation can follow it. So the bottom line is it takes not a lot of preparation. What it takes is a change in mindset to recognize some people may not get the information the way you do. Oh, and oh, by the way, what about people who are dyslexic? People who have dyslexia aren't going to read that information on the PowerPoint presentation either. So it really is fair to reconsider how we present information at meetings or other things that we do with the company and to truly make it an inclusive environment. I could also make the case that if you hire a blind person, for example, at a company and you truly allow them to become part of the company, the odds are you're going to have a much more loyal employee at that company than you would ever have from just hiring the average person who happens to be able to see who, when the next job with a higher potential salary comes along, they'll jump ship. For me as a blind person, I appreciate how hard it was to probably get that job in the first place. And I'm not really as likely to go off and just jump unless somebody makes me an incredible offer I can't refuse. But I would also probably bring that to you and say, look, here's what's happening. What do we do about that? The reality is I'm going to be loyal to the people who are loyal to me a lot more than most people are. And that's an incredibly valuable asset that companies don't tend to recognize. Oh, that was excellent. Thank you so much for all of those tips, Michael. 
um, all doable within our power to be thinking through. Absolutely. It's absolutely all doable. It's not magic at all. Can we, can you talk about, uh, you work with Accessibility. Now this is about websites and making them more accessible. And so talk through like, what do we need to be looking at and uh, doing around our websites to ensure that they are more accessible as well? The World Wide Web Consortium has created something called the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. Some companies have adopted them as actual standards, but places like the U.S. have not yet done so. But the guidelines are there, and they define what having an accessible website means. It means things like when you create a link using technology, which any good coder knows how to do, to make sure that the links are labeled. So when I come across a link, I don't hear link, I hear Facebook link or Twitter link or order link. Um, the, the carts are accessible because they're appropriately labeled and made so that anyone can use them. None of that is really hard to do. The problem is we don't emphasize it because we don't emphasize disabilities. We still operate under the premise that disability means lack of ability. We've had no problem taking the word diversity and throwing disabilities out of diversity. How often do you hear Hollywood or do you hear most companies talking about diversity and what they define as being a diverse population? Gender, race, sexual orientation, some social attitudes. Disabilities aren't included because the presumption is we're still not capable. And that's why we have a 70% plus unemployment rate among employable persons with disabilities in the United States. It's not that we can't work. It's people think we can't work because, as I also said once before, they've never tried it. The reality is they should give us the same opportunities and the same benefits of the doubt that they give other people. Well, accessibility was created by three guys who started a company in 2015 in Israel to make websites for customers. And they made a whole slew of websites and they sold them all and did a great job. But then 2017 came along in Israel legislature said websites have to be accessible. And these guys are going, Oh, what do we do about that? They studied it. They're bright guys. They were actually in 2019 under the Forbes 30 under 30 group. They were very interested in how do we make this work? And they created to start with an artificial intelligent widget. That is a piece of technology that sits in the cloud and they started selling it to people. It's like $500 a year to get it. And what it does is it goes through and it analyzes your website. <clears throat> and what it does by analyzing it is to say, here's what I can fix. Here's what I can't fix. And it will go off and fix all the things that it can. So it will put labels on links because a Facebook link is a Facebook link that people know about because there's something for sighted people that tell you it's Facebook, not necessarily for me as a blind person, but the link, whatever is in that graphic, defines it as Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And so Accessibility looks at that and says, ah, it's a Facebook link. I'm going to put the Facebook label in and so that when somebody comes across that link, they'll actually hear it say Facebook link. Or you get to a link that has a little arrow at the bottom that indicates it's a dropdown. And if you click on that appropriately, it will open a menu or whatever. But if I hear that link, 
unless somebody has labeled it appropriately, it just says link. And if I click on it, I get a different response than you do. But when accessibility encounters that link, it says, oh, there's this little arrow here at the bottom. It's a drop down. I'm going to go ahead and um, indicate that it's a drop down or a menu. And so when I come across a link after accessibility is running on a website and it has that little arrow at the bottom, it says to me, like products menu. And if I click on it, the menu opens up just like it does for you. None of the coding is complex, really, but it still is something that only happens when people are aware and take the time to do something about it. The problem is, especially on smaller websites, to hire somebody to do all that could cost thousands of dollars. And that's why, as I said, accessibility is only a few hundred dollars and it's a few hundred dollars a year because once you've done what you can with the widget, the AI widget to make the website accessible, it will continue to monitor the website and anytime you make changes and so on, it will fix whatever comes along that it can to continue to provide accessibility. For the things that it doesn't do with the AI widget, such as pictures of people and um, complex graphs and so on, depending on the site, what it will do is to tell you what it can't do. And then you either can get a coder to fix it, a programmer, or Accessibility has the services to do that. So the bottom line is Accessibility today makes inclusion available for a variety of disabilities. There are some that it still doesn't do directly with the widget. So for example, if you have a website with a bunch of videos, you can't use artificial intelligence to put in audio descriptions so I know what's on those videos. But accessibility's service staff under a product called Access Flow can help do that. They can remediate and make PDF documents that are otherwise inaccessible accessible. So accessibility can do the full service or they can provide the widget part. And then if you've got other people that you're using already to make your website the rest of the way accessible, let the artificial intelligent widget do what it can and your coders have a much less complicated time making the rest of the site accessible. And that's what Accessibility is. If anyone wants to learn about it, they can go to accessibility.com. -E and one of the things that you can do while you're there is you can go to the link that says, find out how accessible your website is. You plug in your website and it will tell you how accessible it is or it isn't. And then you can decide how you want to address that from there. But today, the Department of Justice has said that the internet is a place of reasonable accommodation. So the bottom line is people need to make their websites accessible. There's no excuse for not doing it. And do it for the right reason. Yeah, you can be sued. Um, that can happen. Lawyers are always looking for money. But here's the real reason to do it. Big news, friends. We have found a way to duplicate the content we share. Now it'll be available everywhere all at once. You can now pre-order the DEI Communications Blueprint. <sighs> this is a three-level on-demand video course. It's 21 of the most popular topics I talk about in workshops and training sessions with clients all over the world. And by taking this video course, you will be able to apply a DEI lens to your communications, develop DEI communication strategies, gain confidence, and shift DEI messages to center outcomes, not activities and outputs. Plus, we threw in some more bonuses for those who pre-order ahead of our fall launch. So 
go to deicommunicationsblueprint.com. That is deicommunicationsblueprint.com to get started. The Nielsen Company, you know, the Nielsen ratings people, did a survey in 2016. And what they found in the 2016 survey was that persons with disabilities tend to be incredibly much more brand loyal to websites and to brands that they can use. In other words, if I go to a website and I can use it, I'm not going to go elsewhere to do shopping unless it really doesn't have on that site the product that I want. I'm going to go to where I can use the site rather than having a lot of complicated things. And so if you make your website truly usable for persons with disabilities, using the numbers from the Center for Disease Control, you will make your website available to 25% more people than you ever would have had access to before. Now, wouldn't you want to do that? Get all that extra business? I would. Thank you. That I, I'm sitting here nodding a lot because I don't want to interrupt you audibly, but just know that I am. I, I just really appreciate everything that you said. And um, you're right. There's just no excuses. Absolutely no excuses. There is no excuse today. It's a lack of education and there shouldn't be a lack of education and all the capabilities are there if we would, but do it. And that's a big part of what we do as conscious communicators is being very intentional, um, you know, and being conscious about our different channels and how accessible they are. Let me ask you a couple of questions around social media and storytelling. First, I'll start with social media. So, Something that while you were talking about uh, the websites, I think about hashtags and I think about images that people post that there are now like major social media platforms that invite someone to do an alt tag within the image. Can you walk through the importance of that as well as um, with hashtags? I've been told if there's multiple words in a hashtag to have a capital letter at the beginning of each um, word. So um, it can be read by uh, screen readers. And so I just want to double check that with you. Is that accurate? And, and what are some tips around social media posts that we can make more accessible? Well, if you have a hashtag like hashtag Elmo Schwartz, um, yeah, you're going to probably capitalize Elmo and Schwartz. So let's say you have a hashtag like runner in Sherwood Forest. Well, Sherwood's capitalized. But anyway, um, I don't know that it has to be capitalized. It certainly would would help define the word if there's, if there's, well, I guess the issue really is if you've got several words and you don't, with a hashtag, you don't put a space between them, right? Right. And so like, yeah. And so that's why you put the capital letters so that the system, the person will hear um, hashtag running down the street. You capitalize the R, the D, the T, and the S, and uh, it will be a lot easier for a person to hear hashtag running down the street than running down the street, and it's all combined together, and it tries to treat it as one separate word. So that's the reason for doing it. It's a clarity issue. So it makes sense to put a capital letter in at the beginning of each word since they're all uh, connected together and there's no space. The idea behind alt tags and so on, those are the kinds of things that create the labels so that I understand what a picture shows. And when there is an opportunity to put those tags in, people should do it. 
What's really unfortunate is you've got companies like WordPress. WordPress creates through its technology hundreds, thousands, or tens of thousands of websites inexpensively. <clears throat> what it does not do is have any facility requiring that those websites be accessible. If WordPress would write from the outset as a person is designing a website using WordPress tools, insist that accessibility has to be included and guide someone through that process like everything else, then all those websites would be accessible. But WordPress doesn't do that. Apple made their iPhone accessible. They were going to get sued, but they did it. They made the Apple, the iPhone, the iPod, now the poor late iPod, um, the MacBook Pro, well, all MacBooks, and other technologies, iTunes U and so on, they've made accessible. And they've done a good job with it. I can go uh, to any store, buy any iPhone, and it will allow me, if I'm the first person to turn it on, to be able to invoke accessibility right from the outset so I can then use it. I can always do it later, but it's great when I can do it myself right from the outset. Microsoft has done that, and I know Dell has done that with some of their computer systems. I bought one a few years ago, a Dell system, and I didn't even realize it. And when I turned it on, it started talking to me, and it says, do you want accessibility? And I went, oh, that's great. But here's the problem, even with Apple. They don't do a single solitary thing to require that Apple app developers include accessibility. So I can have an app that works one day and it's totally inaccessible the next day with the next update. And no matter what guidelines and information Apple provides, there's no requirement to do that. Apple with the Apple police that deal with every app that comes through their store have any number of different things that they require. And they could require that level of accessibility of some sort to be in every app and they don't do that. So there's a long way to go, and there's no doubt that the best way to deal with excess is to make it native right from the outset, whether it be for me as a blind person, whether it be using different kinds of technologies and emphasizing words for a person with dyslexia or ADHD, whether it be something where it gives a person the ability to turn off the requirement to use a mouse to highlight something, but rather use a keyboard, any number of things, all those are options. And the, the manufacturers of the technologies and so on could make that stuff available if they would, but they don't. So today, for example, there can be a Windows update that will suddenly cause my screen reader not to talk properly because Windows made a change and the screen reader manufacturer has to catch up rather than Windows dealing with it from the outset. So there's a lot that needs to be done even by the, the bigger organizations. Designing with DEI from the beginning, that's really the call to action. In it's all about, in, it's true inclusion right from the outset. Yeah, absolutely. Just embedded through the process across the organization. All right. Now, something that a lot of us communicators do is a lot of storytelling. And one thing that I want to make sure that us as conscious communicators do is to make sure that we're not... Um, uh, participating in any kind of performative storytelling around the community of, you know, people with disabilities. How do we make sure that our storytelling is truly authentic and helpful 
encouraging transformation and, and, and encouraging visibility um, and calls to action uh, in advocacy for people with disabilities to ensure that we're not, um, you know, that we're not uh, performative in our storytelling. What kind Story. of tips do you have? Stories like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> Look, the best thing to do, um, there are organizations of persons with disabilities. And one thing to do is to go to some of those organizations like the National Federation of the Blind um, and, and to talk with them or to, if you know someone who has a particular disability, you can, you can always go talk with them. But if you want to look for trends, I would, I would definitely suggest going to consumer organizations. So here's a great example. If you talk to a person who is deaf or who doesn't hear well, how do you describe those people? I'm now asking you. Well, since I write inclusive communications guides, I can kind of cheat and say that I've had people who are deaf sure. review those sections. And, and, and what do they and what do they say that you should describe them as? As deaf. Or uh, hard of hearing. Exactly. Now, why not hearing impaired? Why is it deaf or hard of hearing? and not deaf or hearing impaired? Well, I know that there's a lot of stigma that has been um, perpetuated as far as to your earlier point of still of being incapable or lesser than. Um, right. And so we're centering the person and some are choosing identity first, but, but in general, especially those of us who aren't part of that population, my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that the community wishes to be people first if we're talking at it from a general sense. Well, but the, the preference is deaf or hard of hearing, deaf or hard of hearing, but not deaf or hearing impaired. Because hearing impaired does create such a stigma, such a negative thing. You're now comparing a person who doesn't hear well to a person who hears well you're hearing impaired as opposed to hard of hearing. And I know many politicians who might score well on an audio test, but they certainly are um, not able to hear very well, but we won't go there. But in the blindness world, for example, because of all of the professionals in the world still, we're referred to as blind or visually impaired. There are two problems with visually impaired. One Visually, I'm not different if I happen to be blind. Why do people say that because you're, you're visually impaired because you're blind? So you, don't, you clearly don't look the same. It's not a visual thing at all. And then the whole concept also of impaired. Why is it that we have such a hard time getting people to say blind or low vision, just like we talk about deaf or hard of hearing? The stigmas are still there. Even years ago, the Gallup polling organization did a number of surveys about uh, people's fears. One of the top five fears up until the 2000s and a little after, one of those top five fears was blindness. It wasn't even disabilities. It was blindness because as a society, we emphasize eyesight so much. And all of the professionals in the field, the educators and everyone else, all of the so-called experts, call us blind or visually impaired. 
and they they have they have created the problem and we do need to change it it's not impaired um and it and it's the same i think for virtually any disability you can come up with terms that take the stigma out of it my wife um, was a wheelchair user for her whole life. Mobility impaired, um, she would react to that and object to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, wheelchair user, different story, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reality is you can't put everybody in the same bucket. So the issue is the best way to, to deal with storytelling and so on is to just ask. Um, and like I said, the organizations of persons with disabilities will probably be the source that will give you the most um, inclusive answer. If you ask any individual, I know any number of blind people who will say, well, I'm visually impaired. What are you talking about? You're wrong. No, you're not visually impaired. You say you are because you're used to that, but you're not impaired. Your lack of eyesight doesn't make you less than anyone else. Your lack of eyesight means that you'll do things in a different way, but it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you're impaired. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to deal with. And, And I, gave you that example because just two months ago I was doing a speech at a, um, a school system in Northern California and there was a blind woman who attended virtually and she called me out on visual impairment. She said, I'm visually impaired. I said, no, you're not. You're blind or you're low vision, but you're not impaired. And it was like pulling teeth to get her to even start to think about the fact that maybe saying impaired was something that had such a horrible negative connotation. We need to get away from it. I love this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And that makes me come uh, uh, That makes me think of one more question for you, Michael. Um, in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, oftentimes the term blind spots come up when it's talking about unconscious bias or microaggressions. I don't know what I don't know. I have blind spots. Um, are those kinds of terms, uh, you know, something that we need to be changing in our vernacular? I, I think that's going a little too far. It doesn't bother me. And it's, it's true. I mean, you have spots that you don't see in. Cars have blind spots, for example. Um, we can carry it to such extremes. And I don't think that we need to, to deal with that as long as we understand what it is we're talking about. And we all do have blind spots of one sort or another. It's okay. I watch television, by the way. I watch movies. The dictionary defines to see as to perceive. At least that's one of the definitions. So I don't see a need to object to something like blind spot. Oh, I'm sure there are some who do. But I think you're carrying it too far when you go that way. So blind spot doesn't denigrate me. It describes a specific situation, and it makes perfect sense. I am blind. Someone who can't see um, out of, of, well, can't see what's behind them in their car or on the side of their car because they don't have cameras has a blind spot. They can't see there. Why worry about it? I think there are a lot more horrible things to worry about in the world than that. <laughs> well, we definitely want to make sure a lot of conscious communicators say we don't want to, un- you know, unintentionally offend anyone, right? And sure, so talking but, but at think a general about, sense. But, but think about what you're doing. And, and I'm sure that you will find people who would object to blind spot. But I think that the reality is the vast majority of us recognize what that term is. 
and it doesn't denigrate us. You turn a blind eye to something. <clears throat> Justice is blind. Should we not use those? I think that um, I'm not sure justice isn't is blind, but that's you know another story. Perhaps it should be, but it's not. But, or see but you later. Blindness, blindness isn't the problem; it's our perceptions of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we need to recognize that we can carry things to too many extremes. Too. Mm-hmm. I think you, you're, one of the points that you made earlier about this is something that's included in the inclusive communication guides that I do for clients is that one of the first of the checklist is to say, does it demean people, human beings? Yeah. Does blind spot demean anybody? Yeah. I don't think so. Right. Exactly. I don't um, think but that if we were to use the phrase. Yeah. What are you blind? You know, that's that's a different story. Right. And of course, if somebody says that to me, the answer is going to be, yeah. And you, (laughs) what are you stupid? (laughs) Right. Understood. So I have one more question for you. Um, I have been on a number of webinars as I'm a perpetual student and I listen to a variety of, of, of people from a variety of backgrounds and experiences that I don't personally have intentionally. It's, it's part of my work. Right. And something that I have seen is a um, some people will start off these webinars saying, hi, I'm Kim Clark, and they will describe what they look like, um, what they're wearing, the colors, the color of their hair, yeah. the color. And so I wanted to get your feedback on that. What do you think about that? Should that be an ongoing practice? Personally, I don't need it. Um, I've never seen colors. So if you tell me you're blonde, it doesn't mean a thing to me. Um, I think, again, we can carry things to extremes. Um, somebody decided to start that practice, and I know some people like to hear it. And typically, it's people probably who have had some eyesight. Um, mm-hmm. And so it equates to them. I don't know that that's totally true. But I know for me, personally, I don't need the description. I'm going to learn about you by talking with you and getting to know the person and a lot about you. And if we're in the same room and talking together, I'll I'll figure out how tall you are when I um, Mm -hmm. stand near you and talk to you and so on. Do I really need those descriptions? It doesn't add a lot of value to me. Um, So I don't particularly need it to happen. Again, I'm sure there are people who do and they're getting used to it. But for me, I don't need that. Michael, anything else that you would like to advise us as communicators and content creators to make things more accessible? I think the most important thing is to make sure that you seek out making things inclusive and that you ask the questions. I'm glad to be a resource any way I can for any of your people who who listen to this. They're always welcome to reach out to me. Um, email is real easy, Mike at Michael Hinkson, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-H-I-N-G-S-O-N.com. And I know you're going to put all this up, but people are welcome to reach out and I'm glad to help any way that I can. I think it's mostly common sense and just don't think that we're less than anybody else just because we're different. Thank you, Michael. This has been an incredible conversation and so helpful. I really appreciate knowing you. And I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. 
And next time we get to talk to you and interview you on Unstoppable Mindset. So everybody stay tuned for that. Yes, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it. And, and if any of you have any questions that you want me to pin down Kim with, you just let me know. <laughs> She's going to edit this out, I bet. But anyway. Oh, the chair is swinging. All right, Michael, thank you for your time. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you, Kim. Okay, so what popped out to you from this conversation? And I mean, it may take a minute to process, but be sure not to brush off what you just heard. Look, you just need a partner to be with you through this experience and understand what to do next. So I'm inviting you to set up a one-on-one strategy session. All you need to do is go to communicate like you give a damn the podcast.com and you'll see the button there. The more conscious communicators in the world, the better the world. So thank you for listening. And until next time, let's communicate like we give a damn.